0: Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of Hashtag Clocked In with me, your host, Jordan Edwards. I'm thrilled to have you tune in as we dive into the dynamic world of productivity, success, and stories of incredible individuals who've mastered the art of getting things done. Whether you're commuting, Hitting the gym or just relaxing at home, this podcast is the go-to source for inspiration and actionable tips to level up your productivity game. I'm on a mission to unravel the secrets of those who seem to effortlessly manage their time and achieve their goals. So if you're ready to clock in and unlock your full potential, you're in the right place. We've got a lineup of amazing guests, industry experts, and thought leaders who will share their insights and strategies to help us crush your to-do list and make the most out of every moment. Get ready to get inspired, motivated, and equipped with the tools you need to supercharge your productivity. This is Hashtag Clocked In with Jordan Edwards. Let's dive in. What's up? It's Clocked In with Jordan Edwards here. here, here. Hey, what's going on, guys? we got a special guest on the Clocked In podcast. We have Joe Simon. He's a sales and communication expert and has mentored over 400 companies over the past 15 years. Joe, welcome.
1: Thanks, buddy. How you doing?
0: Good, good. We're excited to have you here on the Clocked In Podcast. So where did it all start for you? Where did you grow up? Where are you originally from? And how mm-hmm. was
1: that? Well, I'm in sunny Cali and I've been here for um, almost two decades, but I was born and raised in Peoria, Illinois, the good old Midwest. Um, to uh, some immigrant parents, great family. And, uh, you know, we were the traditional American story of, um, you know, families or, or parents coming here with a dream to educate, you know, inspire and provide, you know, new freedom and new opportunity to their kids, And you know. And um, however, you know, I came from a caring family who was also very much indoctrined into the, you know, uh, sort of the uh, get a good job um, try to get benefits if you can, um, get a degree um, and have some stability, you know, very, very, very traditional, um, you know, middle class uh, type of a mindset, not that they weren't open to opportunity and entrepreneurship and all kinds of other things. But it's what a lot of families, you know, have to do, given the situation or the era or the educational level that they're in or, you know, um, in order to provide for their families, um, not, not-, not noticing that they're also conditioning their kids with that middle class mindset. Not that there's anything wrong with it. It's not a positive or negative thing. It's just something you have to be aware of.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I completely align with that. I know my, my parents are someone of that as well. So, mm-hmm. so how'd you break out of that? So I know you were in Chicago, mm-hmm. working your job. You did. It's your story.
1: <laughs> so I, um, you know, I was born and raised in Peoria, Peoria. Um, I'm not, you know, it's, I'm always shocked at how many people actually know where Peoria is, because it's a very small city. And I think it's because um, Peoria and Bloomington, its neighboring town, has two of the, is headquarters to two of the largest companies in the world, one of them being Caterpillar Tractor Company, which owns dozens of companies as well, and the other one being being State Farm Insurance. The other challenge with that is, you know, when I grew up, that those, those, that company specifically employed like 50% of the city. You know including my father and so whenever we had a shift like we're having right now you know half the city would start freaking out that they're going to lose their job you know and i saw us go through two phases of that um, as children and as a teenager uh, watching my dad you know uh, um, uses his, his hard work and his skills to go around and competing and trying to find whatever type of job he could just to contribute my mom you know, starting an in-home daycare center because she didn't want to leave the house just so she could help provide as well. So from the age of about five years old to about 18 years old, I watched, you know, my mom work day in and day out in her daycare center to bring in the cheese. And I watched my dad, you know, do everything he possibly could to contribute to, to add, you know, money to the arsenal so that we could continue to live, you know, like my mother did. And so I think it was along that along with, um, noticing, you know, um, probably through TV at the time or books that were being recommended to me by, by friends and family members, that there's a whole other world out there. There's a whole nother world out there. And, and this paycheck to paycheck, you know, lifestyle, saving what you can, uh, you know, provide what you can. And, and by the way, guys, I, I never, ever struggled as a kid. Never really even noticed any type of struggle. My parents always always found a way to have the best food on the table. You know, they they bought and, and financed their own home. Tons of friends. They're always involved in like get-togethers or, um, you know, church events or you you name it. We were like we were like the the social pod of our friends. You know, like everybody came to our house all the time and so forth. So I there was really no struggle, prospectively for me you know, other than a few things here and there in childhood that everybody goes through. But I did notice that there's two worlds out there. There is the world of, um, you know, the 95, which is, you know, completely fine. If you're happy with that, you have to know yourself. And then there's the world of, you know, this whole hustler nation um, at the time. And and, um, that was doing more, that was going out and earning much more. And, And you have to be a little bit ignorant to notice that you go through life. And even as a child or as a young adult, there are people that, that have more access to things or leverage than you might. And you have to start asking the questions like, why is that? Because, you know, very, very few people um, in the country at the time were born into wealth. Very full, very small part of, part of our population is born into wealth. But there's still a lot of abundance out there. So piqued my curiosity, and then I ended up getting into sales, naturally, um, and uh, in my teenage years. And, you know, that developed into um, a business degree, which I don't remember much of, (laughs) right, at all. I graduated in in 2000, guys, um, from college. And then I moved to Chicago, where I would pick up another couple of sales jobs and, you know, begin my experience as a sales professional still, you know, um, working, you know, underneath another company's umbrella, which was a great experience and and a great time. I would say after, uh, you guys remember remember 9-11? Yeah, of course. Of course, right? So after 9-11, I was working in the tech sector. Um, I started out working at a health club. I got recruited and I worked in a tech company that specialized in um, ERP uh, or enterprise type softwares, right, for for data intelligence, which I knew nothing about either. (laughs) But, um, you know, you, you learn and you grow. And uh, again, continued to develop my sales skills. I met a lot of great people, had some good mentors, some good examples in my life. And, and I was always curious and reading and studying and trying to figure out, you know, what the best mindset was and had good health habits and worked out all the time and really, really started to dig into, you know, what's it going to take in order to make me more successful? That doesn't mean that I was killing it and crushing it and, and, and a top producer every month. There were many, many months during that time where, where I was struggling. But after 9/11, there was like 100,000 layoffs, yeah. just in the Chicago area, um, specifically in the technology sector, as companies were shifting their budgets from more along the lines of developing their technology to more along the lines of now developing their security.
0: Oh, I got you because everyone was—it was the tech right. bubble in 2000. Everyone's like, "Tech, tech, tech." Then they right. all get scared when a terrorist attack occurs, obviously. Right.
1: Literally, yeah, either it was like literally physical security, cybersecurity, all kinds of stuff. You know, basically it was it was just like, you know, whenever there's a big scare, a company's pulled back on budgets on things that, you know, are sort of luxury you can consider luxury or or a massive expense like this industry was. The business didn't disappear, obviously. It was just guys (laughs) with less experience like me were out on the streets competing for the same work. Yeah. And so a few months after that, I was I was working on like three jobs, you know, and, and I got a phone call from a buddy in California who was talking about how great it was out here. It's beautiful. The weather is nice. Everybody's making money. The girls are hot. You name it, man. He just like filled up my head totally. And I went to bed that night and I woke up. It was the first or second day of February, 2002. And uh, I remember logging into my bank account, had like 500 bucks in it. And I looked out the window it's like five in the morning. You got to go out. You got to scrape your car. You got to turn it on. You got to warm it up. Yeah. You guys out there know the routine. And I, I you know, I didn't park in a garage. And so I'm going through this morning process. And I'm like, what the hell am I doing? You know, Like this guy moved out to California and he survived. Maybe I should too. So I took the majority of the, the cash that I had. And I paid an additional month of rent to my roommate. Packed as much as I could in my car. And uh, put the sales up on my car and headed out to Cali overnight decision almost
0: wow yeah now when you make a decision like this what's going through your head are you even going pros and cons or you're just acting on instinct i think um the majority of it was instinct at that time
2: yeah
1: i didn't see you know any major light in the nearby you know tunnel where i was you know it's not like jobs were coming out at me um I was working, you know, literally six, seven days a week just to live paycheck to paycheck. And I felt like, hey, man, you know, like, what's the worst case scenario? I go out there. You know, if I can't figure it out, I come back. (laughs) That's like, what's the worst case scenario that can happen? It's not like I was going into a war zone or, you know, fighting a drug war or something. I was just driving across the country. And I figured since the weather is nice, I'll just sleep in my car.
0: Exactly. And I just want to point out before we go into the next part, but that's so true because everyone always thinks, if I make this decision, then I can never go back to this. False. You can always go back to where you were, but you can't always go forward. So you go, you're in your car, it's nice out, and you you stayed in your car, right?
1: Yeah, I slept in my car. I used to call myself homeless, but that's not true. I had a home. I had a great family. <laughs> if they knew that I was sleeping in my car, they would have been a search party after me. You know, my mom when to went berserk, I couldn't even, I didn't even tell her until six months later Yeah, that that was a situation, as you can just imagine, you know. But um, so it was, it was a personal choice. It was like, look, I mean, I have a good mindset. I'm, I build relationships quickly. I have some experience. And, you know, I literally even um, set up a job interview on the way over here, over the phone.
2: Yeah.
1: Set up a job interview, started working day one. I didn't have credit to get a place. I didn't have money to get a place. Yeah. But I, I figured out very quickly where all the uh, 99 cent, you know, restaurants were around me. And um, I decided, you know, and, I, and and one of the reasons I wanted to work at a health club, because it was the best of both worlds. I was already familiar with the environment I'd worked in the environment before. Yeah. So I was, if when you pay attention to that, I was already looking for something to bridge over to where something that I was always already familiar with. I could take at least part of my skill and begin to implement right away.
2: Yeah.
1: And that also put me in an environment where people were coming to me to meet me instead of me having to go out to meet people.
0: Yeah. It's a very, it's a huge paradigm shift when you can make it so they have to come to you instead of you go and chase them. Right. Massive change.
1: Right. And, And, you know, my buddy helped me set up that interview. And that was it. I stayed working there for a couple months, you know, did some great numbers. Then I decided that wasn't for me. And I got back into my four door home. And drove around for a little bit, met some more friends, came across it through more introductions, and then eventually got into the mortgage business that summer, which was a
0: huge, huge deal at the time. Big, what, big what summer are we talking? Two thousand two. Summer of two thousand two. Okay.
1: Summer of two thousand two. There was a mortgage boom. There was a real estate boom going on, similar to what's going on now. Has been for the past several years. Yeah. And uh, I met some cool people, and you know they had had put together a small company. They took me in, trained me, and. That company became, you know, hundreds and hundreds of people. We became uh, very well known here in, in Southern California, and then um, in 2005, December 2005, um, January 2006, I started to have a couple of, of visions and some epiphanies that I was I was both excited about and frustrated with. The exciting part was I noticed that. Um, you know i wasn't going to stay in the industry forever it wasn't an industry that i particularly loved although it's a great business to be in as well and i noticed that at that time i had i had grown and been promoted to becoming a director we had you know several dozens of people working um, alongside us as team members that we would train and develop and and manage and i was fascinated with you know why the majority of the people that we hired don't really Knocking out of the park or don't really hit their goals as consistently or, or ever yeah. as they wanted to. I was always fascinated with that. And I noticed that um, the majority of the training available in the country was important, but it was more like the mindset training, the Tony Robbins style of training. Okay. And everybody had these cookie cutter sort of um, curriculums where they would go into companies and train and, personality task and they would do disk and they would find out, you know, they would do all these things, but there was never any, any really massive transfer of immediately applicable skill. Okay. In regards mm-hmm. to the sales world. Right. You know, when somebody comes into your company, um, they either have to be experienced in your industry, have sold in your industry, right? So you're not going to go out there and get a, a lot of high ticket, very specific sales skills at the time. Yeah. And so I was like, Hey, you know, I, I love teaching. I love developing people. I love this. I'm very curious about the psychology and everything else. Yeah. So, you know, in 2006 is when I decided to hit the road and and start coaching, you know, independently on my own um, to sales teams all over the place.
0: So, when you started doing that, you left your mortgage company Mm -hmm. and decided to do the coaching full time?
1: Yeah, exactly. In fact, I left after my biggest month ever in sales. People thought (laughs) I was crazy. Um, you know, we just hit a huge month in December, that December, I remember, my team was one of the top three teams. And um, all of a sudden, I just felt that, hey, this is the time for me to, to jump out and give this a try. I was um, to almost 28 years old, 28 going, coming into 29, you know, no kids, no family or anything. So I'm like, hey, again, you know, let me make this jump. I'm yeah. to listen to my heart. My heart is telling me to do something. Yeah. Um, and I was excited about it. So I made the jump. Now, was I successful? Yes, initially, because we were in a peak economy. Yeah. It's much easier to start a business or a consulting business or anything when you're in a peak economy. Yeah. But um, a year and a half into my coaching career, we hit the big recession of, of um, you know, 07, 08. Okay. And that big collapse where you know I had I ended up hitting rock bottom again within nine months of that and having to sort of reinvent and, and what do you define as rock bottom um, like no income, income down to almost zero because uh, like' savings we talk, gone negative territory and
0: debt like we talked about as people as yep. fear comes in people want to cut off what they think is unessential and usually they think coaching is, but it's ironic because coaching is actually what will get you out of there.
1: <laughs> yeah, initially, you know, just like we experienced earlier this year, the economy or business is sort of going to a shock period. Like, what do we do? Since yeah. we don't know what's going to happen, don't do anything. Yeah. And so there was, there was this one particular month. It was on July 2007, I think, Okay. where the big news came out that the economy was going to crash and the feds tightened up. Money supply and, you know, it was just on the news constantly. You you yeah. may not remember it, you know, in detail, but, you know, we were going through it. And I, w- I literally had clients that would be open one day and I would walk into the office the next day and there would be no desks, and nothing in there. Oh, wow. They're disappearing overnight. I mean, literally, yeah. it would be a covert overnight operation where ownership would say, uh, we're done. Our pipelines are frozen. We can't do business anymore because the majority of my business were in the uh, real estate or mortgage industry.
0: Oh wow! <laughs> now you're really so, talking.
1: Yeah, yeah. Most of my business, you know, that I had had taken for granted, dried up within about forty five days or so.
2: Yeah. So
1: then I was just the saving. Then you know, I lost the house, which many people did. Um, you know, many people that had families and, and and much bigger responsibilities than me also lost their homes and and yeah, lost their savings and so forth. Uh, but that was a big wake up call. That and and the big wake up call that I had several months later, not several, but a few months after, you know, leaving my home. And then also coming up on an eviction in the apartment <laughs> that I was in was um, the epiphany I had was if I was really, really that good, I would have people calling me for help. Yeah, very true. You, said, you know, when, when the economy tightens up, your sales conversion, you know, your marketing cost, your cost per acquisition, all of that becomes extremely important. Most people neglect it during a boom economy. There's a lot of industries neglecting it right now because rates are low, or money's moving, or they happen yeah. to be in the perfect storm. Um, you know, which, have, which is what we're going through right now with finance again. Absolutely. And uh, I was like, "Look, man, if you were that good, you wouldn't be out." And I, how you know? I knew a lot of people. If you were that good, you wouldn't be out fighting so hard to get business. And so, this, this, this paranoia, this massive learning wave yeah you know the study wave hit me um, that spring and I just spent you know years, I mean thousands and thousands and thousands of hours studying everything that I possibly could to and in that, in
0: yeah. that moment, what were you focusing on? like what what specifically were you studying?
1: So I started I started to notice a couple of things. I, I noticed because I was still going on, I was even offering some companies coaching for free. Um, temporarily just so I could go out and, and practice, you know, what I yeah, was and learning of and, relationships um, or whatever they were willing to pay me. Right. <laughs> yeah. and, and, you know, sometimes I'd be like, you know, it's 5,000 a month. And they'll be like, Oh, we'll give you 500.
0: <laughs> I mean, <laughs> you know, 500 500. Let's do it. <laughs> <laughs> it right?
1: um, and it was just about, you know, uh, learning. But I noticed very quickly in that, in that new era, you know, what I call the new economy 2008 plus, I noticed that customers were acting significantly different than they did before. Yeah. I'll give you the short version. The conclusion I came to was customers were being sold hundreds of times more per month than they were used to over the phone online in their email on pop ups, you know, on TV, in person, just you name it. Yeah. And so they were starting to very, very, very quickly start to become resistant to anybody who sounded like they worked on commission. Yeah, and then we had the shopping era pop up, right? Okay. Let me do my diligence. Let me go online. Let me see what else is available. Let me get a some <laughs> quotes. That boomed as well. So I stopped studying sales material. Yeah, and I started studying con- consumer and and just human behavior. Yeah, the psychology. The of course, yeah. The neuroscience of it, so I could figure out like what exactly is it that makes a customer, you know, feel comfortable, what makes a customer feel trustworthy. And you can't just, you know, generic genericize it anymore as as you know, rapport or build trust or get to know the person or show a sense of humor. It's not that simple when you want to create massive results. Yeah. And if and if you make it generic like that, you're also making it difficult for everybody to perform. Yeah. Because they're gonna to have to start relying on their natural skills. And a lot of people don't have, you know, you know, Equal natural skills across the board. Like Michael Jordan yeah. and Kobe, there's natural skill there, but they always talk about their work ethic. They didn't talk about Absolutely. being one with any skill. All right. So I was going through that phase of a massive learning, and then there's a compound effect. Then I would say by 2000, um, 2009, 2010, about two and a half, three years into that new era of, of you know reinventing myself, Was when I I started to, you know, get back in the game and had a lot of business coming in, a lot of referral work. Uh, We were starting to see the results. And then my business, you know, pretty much doubled and tripled every single year. Amazing. You get results, people like you.
0: Yeah. And then they'll start coming and then they tell their friends. uh, It's referral.
1: Nobody loves talking more than entrepreneurs and salespeople. (laughs) So as soon as they start making money, it's pretty easy to figure it out. Yeah. Pretty easy to figure out. And then, you know, from, from there, you know, you start becoming popular. You start doing business. And, and, you know, that that concept is what it is for every industry, for every individual that's looking to make the jump. It's, you know, it's 95% learning and implementation, you know, and, and 5%, you know, luck,
0: Yeah. you know, at that point. Yeah, you need to have the knowledge to know what you don't know. For you to apply that and give that to the audiences and the customers there that are there so you go in you start helping people and what you really focused on was just was it sales and second of all were you only going after the real estate and mortgage industry or were you now going other industries no by
1: this time i had been getting requests from all kinds of industries Phenomenally, i i you know i like to say it's around probably 20 different industries that i mentor Okay. Um, Because when it came, now that I'm not studying an industry, I'm studying behavior. Yeah. Which, you know, you can apply those tactics. Now, the magic starts happening when, if I go into an industry that I've never sold in, and this is something that you get better and better at every time you do this. Yeah. I would very spend like a week or two getting to know the industry, getting to know the sales flow, getting to know, you know, how this product or service, how this works. Yeah. Because, my claim to fame is helping to you know, rewrite the language that they actually use in their communication with their customers.
2: Oh, okay. Yeah.
1: In many cases, word for word. Oh, wow. Okay. Um, and what I'm doing there is I'm eliminating sales patterns, meaning things that are, have been said so many times in your industry that every time a customer hears them, it's a turnoff. Yeah. That makes sense?
0: Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And then it comes off as sales or it right. comes off as there. So, Right. When everyone comes out with stuff, we're gonna give it a sale. We're gonna give them a deal. We're gonna give them this. like. Is that what you're saying? Or we're gonna close them? All that? Yeah, or
1: you know, it's the concept of it is very simple. So let's yeah. say you sell in an industry. Yeah. I go record yourself, or if you have a script, look at your script. Yeah. I want you to go through every single sentence, every single question, every single transition, even the "How's your day going?" Even little things like "Great," "Perfect," "Absolutely." Go through every word and ask yourself this question. Who else says this in my industry?
0: I think everyone should pause and do this activity right now, whoever's listening, because that that is what's going to distinguish you from where you are today to where you want to be.
1: Line by you know, right. line. Who yeah, else right. says this in my industry? And also, who else says this in sales? Yeah. And if your answer is um, a lot of people, then you <laughs> need to change that wording and make it more meaningful or more effective basically yeah. interrupt the pattern. Because if you sound very similar, I don't care what you say about your company or your products the best, your value is better, your, your pricing, Whatever is it is. There, your relationships, your direct line it doesn't matter what you say. If 70 to 80% of your conversation, your questions, your process is the same as everybody else, it's very difficult for a customer to distinguish whether they should do business with you or someone else. And if the customer can't make a decision because They don't realize it psychologically. You're hitting too many patterns that they've heard everywhere else. And what they're going to do is they're going to shop by price.
0: And meanwhile, most salespeople are going to sit there and say, hey, I'm not a good salesperson. When it's not them, it's what the verbiage and what they're being taught and how they're utilizing it. Right. So as a leader,
1: that's something that really piqued my interest. And I said, ooh, here's another big mistake I saw a lot of people making. Most sales leaders were training their salespeople how they sold, how they sell that's not the, that's not you're not going to be able to scale a successful sales team. You might be able to hire a lot of bodies. Yeah. And and play the game because you know most sales people in the business are are notorious for playing the numbers game which I can't yeah. stand. And they bring in people and every time you hire somebody who has great potential and uh, good intentions and and you know some talents and and they just want the right thing. Yeah. And they don't become successful. You're having a negative impact on their career. Not just at your job, not just at your company. Yeah, you are impacting their confidence and and their livelihood, their identity. Yeah, every time you bring dozens and dozens of people in, and then you have oh, to absolutely,
0: absolutely, it's not good.
1: You know? Right now, I'm not saying that you know there's a perfect scenario, or you you can you know this is not something that you perfect, but you should at least work on it and improve it. Especially if you're a small and medium sized business, you're able to you're able to focus on. Those people much more. So, one of my mistakes and many other people's mistakes is they teach people how they've always done it. Yeah. And that's a danger zone because now you're handing down the sales skills or the method from your generation to the next generation to the next generation. And that's how everybody within an industry starts to sound the same. So,
0: what's a more effective way of doing it then? So, you just take
1: a look at it and you, you ask, I ask myself two questions How can I make this conversation much more meaningful yeah. to my customer? What does that really mean what that really means is i need to have a conversation that doesn't put my product or my company first or my experience another big mistake salespeople make what it does is it it talks and it, it communicates to it aligns with the rules and values of your customer yeah not the benefits or the features or the, the details of your company or your product or your qualification process or whatever the case may be it doesn't cater to your industry standards Yeah. It caters to a customer's decision making process. Yeah. So it's another paradigm shift. Major paradigm shift. Not that it's difficult. You just, you know, when you train people, usually within usually within three to six weeks of trying something new, they naturalize that too and they become pretty confident in it.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. Joe, I know we only got a couple minutes left. Mm -hmm. So what are some tips that you think the audience could take away that could be valuable to them? Just where things. they are right now and what they're doing.
1: Yeah, I mean, definitely make sure that you know communication and understanding quality communication, reading, studying, taking courses on communication, is something you do because heading into a new economy, you know, we don't know how long um, certain industries are going to be around. We don't know whether or not the the skill that you have right now is going to be relevant. But there's one thing that that kind of dominates the game that most companies want is that people who are very very good communicators.
0: Yeah. And how how can people improve their communication through like reading books, just sure. practice All the obvious tools. Yeah, um, you know there are courses like mine that focus on
1: sales, leadership, and and also um, self communication. Okay, there's tons of books out there. I mean, we are literally like one one of the one of the um, new challenges we have is how much information is available now.
0: Yeah, so then it's deciding what is correct. Should I read that Facebook article or should I read an actual book? And it should be the book. (laughs)
1: Yeah, so what I do is I just go, hey, you know, I keep my eyes open. I actually do searches. You know, people do searches when they want new clothes. People do searches when they want to plan a vacation. People do searches when they want to buy a car. Well, just start searching for stuff, YouTube, online, in person, through fans, through your network. And then what I like to do is go, hey, you know, do I like this topic? Is this topic something right now that can I can immediately apply to where it is that I want where I, I want to be? Yeah, and and kind of filter, and then you start to figure out, you know, your favorites. And in the beginning, you just sort of want to absorb, 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 and then you want to start to become more specific. Um, the other the other big tip I give all my friends, myself, especially this year, since we're fully moving to to digital in so many ways. Absolutely, is to to at least. You know, adapt to having a a skill of anticipation, meaning what industry are you in? Where are you at right now? What do you know about that industry's projections over the next three to five years? Figure out what you're going to have to learn or relearn or get better at um, so that you remain valuable to a company or to an economy. Yeah. So relying on the skills that you have right now is probably not a good way to be, you know, a great provider three to five years from now or maybe even 12 (laughs) months from now. Right? Anticipate what's ahead and begin to adapt. Start learning before you need to. That way you won't get let go when the time comes.
0: Yeah. And it gives you a massive advantage. Plus, you also have to be able to be proactive about where the situation lies and what you need to do. And yeah, not many people are doing that.
1: Right. I mean, look, we get cozy. I've gotten comfortable in my business. You know, I go through phases. Yeah. Um. You know, I have family members that have recently been let go and laid off from their jobs at big corporations this year.
2: Yeah.
1: After 10 years, 15 years, 18 oh. years, and sure. you just think it's going to be there forever. Yeah. Um. And you and it's not the, the only you know way that you can have income that you
0: fully control is by is by generating it yourself. Absolutely. I completely agree with yourself. that. You got to go off and you got to go in and figure out whatever that is. Even if you do have a nine to five job and you're doing that and you do something on the side, it just protects you in the long run. Sure.
1: Yeah, you're going to have sense. some ups and downs too. I mean, you know,
0: who isn't you can get with it, you know, get with it. You got to embrace yeah. the lows. You got to embrace the highs. Sure. So, there's Joe. A lot
1: out there, listen, there's a lot of people out there. right now with young kids going, I can't make the jump. You never make, you know, it's very rare or that for people in my age group now to be able to, to, Intelligently make an overnight jump like I did,
0: <laughs> and what and what age group are we referring to, just for the listeners to understand? Got a transition,
1: you know. So I think Gary Vee is good at saying this stuff. He's like, "Look, you if you work from seven to four, yeah, and you have dinner with your family, and even if you watch you know your favorite games once in a while, you still have, you know, dozens of hours every month to pursue something.
0: Absolutely, Learns wait. I think TV is one of the biggest uh, dream takers in our generation. People just get stuck on the TV all the time. What's the new episode? What's the new show? What's this? What's that? Or or now, like the media, you know? Exactly. That's a TV show.
1: It's just, you know, brainwashing so
0: many people. Absolutely. It's terrifying. Right. Almost by design. Yeah. (laughs) That would be a much longer podcast if we were to go that direction. (laughs) Yeah. But Joe, where can people find you? Instagram,
1: LinkedIn, uh, the gym. (laughs) Um, At Joe Coach is my Instagram handle. People hit me up on there all the time. LinkedIn, I've got a bunch of content up on YouTube um, and so forth. So I'm easy to get a hold of.
0: Yeah, I'll drop the links on there. And I really appreciate the time and coming on the Clocked In Podcast. It was awesome having you. You got it, man. Thank you. Have a good one. Thanks. Thank you for reaching the end of the podcast for that. We'll give you a complimentary coaching session in the link below with Edwards consulting. Hope to see you there and have a great day and keep clocking in. Thank you for reaching the end of the podcast for that. We'll give you a complimentary coaching session in the link below with Edwards consulting. Hope to see you there and have a great day and keep clocking in.